Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by Rick Vavro and Austin Underground. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and CJ Vogel. And before we begin, be sure to tell us where you're tuning in from. We love to see that, like to see where all of you are across the world. Uh, but Bobby, let's talk about the NFL just before we, you know, really get moving here. What are you hearing as far as who's leaving, who, who we're waiting, you know, decisions on? What's the latest there? I mean, look, there are different categories of this. Um, there are the guys like Jonathan Brooks and JT Sanders, uh, Adonai Mitchell, who could choose to go to the NFL, have not made their decisions yet. There are guys, or that they could return, like Alfred Collins apparently is, according to multiple sources. He's uh, the defensive tackle out of uh, Bastrop, uh, expected to return. And then there's guys like David Benda and Jake Majors, uh, both of whom we we expect uh, Majors to return. Benda is a very good possibility to return. So there's this, this whole total group of guys that we're kind of awaiting decisions from right now. Uh, the three that uh, – and then you even have Quinn Ewers, Blake, and, and CJ, who we believe almost insuredly is coming back and returning to school. Uh, but, you know, he has to make his own announcement as well. And, and the thing that's I'm, I'm finding out and what I've uh, done some uh, talking to people, et cetera, behind the scenes, uh, they're hoping to all have kind of exit interviews or, or discussions with Steve Sarkeesian before making their decisions. So before they go out and decide or announce something, uh, Xavier Worthy had already spoken to Sark, is my understanding, and everybody knew he was going pro. But the other guys are trying to figure that out right now, and they want to talk to Sark uh, and the staff uh, before doing so. So that's kind of where where that is at. January 15th is the due date uh, for announcement to the NFL and declaration uh, so that uh, they can put you in the draft, get, get started on all that stuff. Uh, the other pieces uh, of this is, like I said, what's Jake Majors going to do? We we know that he's uh, got an apartment in, in Austin for this coming semester. So we know he's at least going to work out, but he hasn't said, hey, officially I'm coming back. Uh, you've got guys like uh, uh, like David Benda as well. So all of those things going on right now, uh, which is everything uh, everything related to really that NFL draft slash go pro or stay. That's 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 a lot of focus right now for the Longhorns. Uh, the other thing that uh, we got to mention is Bo Davis, uh, the Texas defensive line coach, uh, reportedly of high interest uh, to the LSU uh, Tigers. Uh, LSU coach Brian Kelly blew out his entire defensive staff yesterday. Uh, Bo Davis, uh, clearly a longtime LSU assistant uh, with school there as well. Uh, he could be going back there, but. Uh, it, there's no definitive timeline, et cetera. Plus, we don't know for sure if he's going to take that job, uh, but that's something that we're going to be tracking here on Texas football as well. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Well, CJ, you've been on the road here lately down in San Antonio for the All-American game. I, I know you, you know, talked to a lot of kids yesterday. Tell us about that a little bit. 
Oh, man. Talk about a lot of All-American prospects and Texas players in particular. It, it was fun. There's four guys down in San Antonio that I was able to get a, a, a close uh, encounter with, you know, close eye on uh, to see against All-American prospects. Quarterback Trey Owens, wide receiver Ryan Wingo, linebacker Ty Anthony Smith, a recent addition to the Texas class, and uh, punter Michael Kern were all down in San Antonio for the All-American Bowl practices this week. Uh, I got to tell you, I know we've talked a lot about Ryan Wingo and the potential that he brings to the the Texas team. Obviously, landing that five-star wide receiver was at the utmost importance this year for the Texas staff in this cycle. He's all five stars and more. He's a really impressive prospect. Uh, I was blown away by the type of production he was able to get in one-on-ones, the separation he was able to generate. Uh, the, The hands were there. The speed was there. The raw tools were all over the place. The connection he and Trey Owens had uh, throughout yesterday was one of the best that any quarterback and wide receiver duo had at any point during the day. So uh, Ryan Wingo to me was probably the biggest winner uh, from my book. I know Trey Owens had a tremendous day one uh, as well from the All-American Bowl practices. I think he was named the MVP for the Western uh, team uh, down there for day one. But, but man, Ryan Wingo, I was really impressed. I've kind of changed my tune a little bit about him since having watched him in person for the first time. That's good. Uh, you know, how was this? He looked a little bit better route running than on the video I saw. I saw about 15 plays of his uh, against the in one-on-ones, CJ. He looked like a better route runner, and he certainly had the body type not to get thrown off by, by grabby hands of the DBs. You know what I mean? Uh, you agree with that? Yeah, no, he's he's certainly athletically ready. I wouldn't say that would, you know, the, the the physicalness of the next level will be obviously a hurdle to overcome, but he's not far away from having that not be a, an issue at all, I would say. Interesting, interestingly enough, he was used a lot in the slot whenever he was down in San Antonio yesterday. Uh, I know we've talked about the, the big body a whole lot, uh, the speed, the combination of the two make it, you know, kind of a what you would think a no-brainer for him to fill right into that. Uh, that that spot that A.D. Mitchell was used in a whole lot this past season. Uh, but his versatility was on display when he was thrown into the slot. There wasn't a single guy that could cover him when he had the three-way go right there. So I think that's something to monitor as well. And Trey Owens even mentioned his route running as something that stood out to me. He said he was technically sound in the routes. Uh, I, again, that was one of the biggest question marks I had coming into yesterday. And like I said, I was blown away by what he was able to do on the field. I'm a big fan of his now. Hey, CJ, we got some people wanting to know a comparison for Wingo. Who, do you have one? I don't know. Uh, I almost want to liken it to a, a larger Devin Duvernay. I know oh, the yeah. speed is there and the hands are there. Um, Wingo probably a little bit more twitchy, but he's a bigger body. So, you know, the speed and, and hands, I, I mean, we talked about Devin Duvernay having never dropped an entire a pass his entire Texas career. Um, and the track speed is there, a little twitchier and bigger than Devin, obviously. But I, I, I kind of like that. I'm, I'm not well versed in the, I don't know the 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 pre 2010s Longhorn receivers. Forgive me, I was in middle school at the time, so uh, that that's something I'm gonna have to go back on and, and get a little bit more uh, educated about. Hey, I, I don't worry about that. I. If he's got as good a hands, like that, you just uh, you kind of shocked me right there a little bit. You think he's got as good a hands as Devin Duvernay? 
He was snagging balls left and right yesterday. It was, it was very impressive. Well, that that means that's really great news because I thought that might be a question mark. Uh, you just never know, obviously, unless you see a guy in person, how well his hands really, really are um, uh, really good. He's definitely got a larger catch radius than Devin. Uh, all guy. But I, I did you see that picture with him? I, I think you may have taken the picture, actually, with him and, and Trey Owens side by side. Trey Owens is a big dude now. Absolutely. I mean, he is all of six foot five. Sark and these big quarterbacks. I mean, what the heck? I mean, Arch is a big dude. Malik was a big dude. Now you got Trey Owens coming in. He's six foot five. He looked like he was all of it, CJ. He absolutely was. He told me he weighed in at 238 pounds. And I asked him, I was like, how, you know, afterward I asked him, I was like, how excited are you for, you know, the, the strength and conditioning, the winter off season? He kind of gave me a side eye because he, he knows his body's about to go through a big transformation. Yeah. You know, 238 pounds, there's going to be some some movement there uh, in terms of, you know, good weight coming on and bad weight leaving them. So Trey Owens, big boy, he's, he's excited to get down to Austin. He was looking good for, for day two again. Uh, before we go and take some questions, and by the way, plenty of time to get your questions in, so please do so. Bobby, is there anything else that we need to be aware of out there, whether it be recruiting, portal news, anything like that before we move on? Yeah, there is some portal stuff going on right now. They've uh, Texas has been looking like we talked about for a DB, potentially a Utah cornerback that Texas might have had some interest in, decided to stay at Utah late last night. Uh, there's another Utah cornerback that ended up going to Oklahoma. That wasn't one Texas was interested in. Um, you know, I, there are there are we're this is the final day. Just to be clear, this is the 48 hour uh, piece that everybody needs to know about uh, from January 2nd. So uh, Alabama, for instance, had I think eight or nine guys go into the to the portal yesterday alone. A couple of them Texas might have interest in uh, eventually. Uh, now, do they have interest in them right now? Based, I think it's a wait and see uh, about what else is out there. But my point being, uh, this is kind of that last day where teams will start will start seeing more names. For Texas, there is a five-day delay. So we're not going to see final names from Texas probably until January 9. Uh, again, which coincides with Steve Sarkeesian being able to talk to some of those players. Um, people have asked me for names that are possibilities. One that I keep hearing behind the scenes that's a real possibility is Jalen Gilbo. Uh, now, for whatever reason, I don't know that that's true, and I, I hope I hope it's not. I hope he does stay a Longhorn, uh, but it's a name uh, that I've heard behind the scenes that may be looking uh, to move move on. I don't think it's going to be a mass exodus. Could it be five or six more? Could it be three? Could it be two? I mean, I, I think all of those are possibilities. Uh, but uh, a lot of players certainly happy with where they're at at Texas and what Texas did this season. I told you all uh, going into this that part of it is, you know, you you want to be part of a winner, right? These guys are all competitors. And then you want to feel like, you know, you're you're improving. And Texas feels like the players at Texas, large, by and large, feel like they're improving, right? And getting to that next step in their in their career. So, uh, I feel like Texas feels pretty good about uh, the transfer portal on the outgoing side. We'll have to see what happens on the incoming side uh, and who they actually identify and target. One of them is Jamari Caldwell, uh, the defensive lineman out of the University of Houston we've mentioned before. Uh, but there's a lot of guys uh, still out there waiting to see who all exactly goes into the portal uh, today. 
All right. Well, we have Coach Bob Shipley coming up here around 830. Uh, but Bobby, before we get to questions here, I'm going to let you tell everybody out there about Rick Vavro and Austin Underground. Yeah, absolutely. Rick is a good friend and someone that's been sponsoring the show throughout the football season. He was uh, he was here before Texas went 12 and 2. I'll put it that way. Since 2004, Austin Underground has specialized in difficult underground commercial installations. The team's engineering background gives Austin Underground the ability to perform work other firms often consider too risky. Rick and his team offer an end-to-end -end client experience, including seamless communication, budgeting, staffing, and top-notch trade partners. And most importantly, they produce solid quality work each and every time. That's Austin Underground. We appreciate Rick and his team uh, and what they do helping build a better Austin, as well as their sponsorship of On Texas Football. Okay, guys, we got a super chat we need to get to real quick here. And uh, it's from Michael. Thank you, Michael. He says, thanks for all the hard work, fellas. Remember to hit that like and subscribe button. Definitely agree with that. Hook them. Cheers and hook them, Michael. Thank you. And then we'll take some questions here. Kevin Randolph says, Bobby, can you speak in depth on what the potential loss of Bo Davis would mean? Trust Sark to hire well, but Bo's development of players and his contributions to culture, such as the bus rant, would be a major loss. Yeah, I think so. I think it would be a loss. I, I, I don't think Texas wants to lose Bo Davis. Okay, so I think there's that to consider. Um, if it comes down, I don't think money is going to be an issue. I think that it may be a situation where, oh, he wants to go home, you know, or he wants to get a co-DC title. Think about that. That's a possibility, right? Uh, so... There's, there's all kinds of issues like that uh, that come into play, but I don't think – I've said this from the start. Bo Davis is not one of these coaches that's necessarily looking to move. I don't think this decision's been made uh, as yet. I don't think it will be until after they hire a defensive coordinator. I mean, right now, Bo Davis is going to go take a job until he knows who the defense coordinator is at, at LSU. Uh, so I think it's a little premature. I think that it's a little hopeful from LSU coach uh, LSU side of things because they're envious of Bo Davis uh, being at Texas, frankly, um, and they see what he's done. Uh, but it, would it be a loss? I think so, because I think he uh, look Blake and, and CJ, I'll go back to this. I'm not so sure that the turning point of this whole Texas football culture slash, uh, uh, you know, where they're at today. I'm not sure that happens without that bus rant getting leaked. I mean, seriously, like, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm honest about that. I know who leaked it. It was a player who sent it to other, other people outside the, the team. Um, that, that in my opinion is a problem. And the reason why it's a problem is it showed that this team wasn't cohesive. They weren't one. And it, secondly, it showed that Bo Davis wasn't willing to, to take it. And he, he put it out there for the world to see. And you know what? It actually, uh, solidified some commitments from players that were committed to Texas saying they weren't ready to take it either. You know what I mean? And, and so I feel like it ushered in a new kind of feeling around Texas football. It galvanized, helped galvanize a fan base uh, that was uh, pissed off uh, at the situation. And Bo Davis was pissed off too. That's what they wanted to see from a coach. Now it's hard for Steve Sarkeesian to go on a rant like that because of what, what, what might happen. But an assistant coach, I think it was just what the doctor ordered. And I, like I said, I'm not so sure it wasn't a turning point of sorts. 
And then we have some other Bo Davis related questions, Bobby, that I'm going to ask you. This one from Nathan. He said, would Texas give Bo the co-defensive coordinator title? And then on top of that, Casey adds in, there's a defensive line, defensive run game coordinator title we could throw on him to make him the highest paid coach in the country. You see Texas doing anything like that? I think, but I think Texas could do a lot of things uh, here if if uh, the things are, are the way they want to be. The question isn't so much giving him a title; it's what Bo Davis wants to do. I mean, uh, LSU is going to be able to pay him just as much money. Texas, I mean, I know LSU will play, act like they can't, but their salary for assistance is, is out of the, this world too, just like Texas. I mean, this is about what Bo Davis ultimately wants to do. Um, I do think that he can get a better title, et cetera, from Sark. I mean, I don't think that's, you know, Sark's not, he's not been provincial about that sort of stuff. Um, and so I don't think he's going to gonna just uh, let that go. At the same time, a lot of these guys, they have certain reasons they want to do certain things. And you just got to let it play out. Um, we'll, we'll sit here and obviously uh, uh, follow on and, and make sure we're on top of it. Uh, but as of right now, he hasn't, my understanding is he has not told Texas his, what he's going to do. I don't even know if other than some heat coming out of LSU's circle that this is necessarily going to happen. It could happen. You know, it could because these coaches move around at times. I'm not so sure it's going to. Um, I, I don't know what if I would put a percentage on it, though, either. Uh, I just don't know that well enough. Well, we've talked about the defensive tackles coach, but people also want to know, Bobby, about the linebackers coach. Ronnie, uh, ask any new info on a linebacker coach. Yeah, Johnny Nancy, the, the guy at the Arizona, I believe, has been off for the job. I don't know if he's officially accepted it yet or not. He was going over the weekend to Hawaii with his wife. His wife's from Hawaii, so he's going to see the in-laws. It wasn't some kind of boondoggle trip to get away from the world uh, or anything like that. Um, but uh, I expect we'll hear something if that occurs in the next week or so. I want to go back to something uh, on Bo Davis real quick, uh, Blake. Uh, one of the guys uh, that is up for the job uh, at uh, LSU as defense coordinator is Blake Baker, the guy that you know a little bit, uh, uh, Blake. He actually worked with Bo Davis previously at the University of Texas. He was a GA or, or a secondary assistant to Dwayne yeah. Aquina. Um, and so there is some familiarity uh, in that regard uh, that uh, may be interesting. But uh, long and short of it, I think Texas right now, we're waiting to see exactly what happens there. We're waiting to see about the linebacker coach. I haven't heard any definitive movement there. Uh, there's also, uh, guys, there's also an ongoing discussion right now about Sark's, uh, uh, Sark's extension. They're definitely offering him one and definitely negotiating one, et cetera. We'll see how that goes. I mean, but I, I think everything looks good. No, there's no cause for concern. The Bo Davis thing is probably the hottest uh, topic right now, along with hiring of the the uh, linebackers coach. And while we're on the subject of coaches, I mean, we're going to do this comment here from Lewis. He says, good morning. I'm still debating if, if Blake Gideon is the best coach to manage our secondary. Did not see any improvement or development of players as the season progressed. I'm curious to get y'all's thoughts on that. Is that really true, though? Did y'all not see improvement? I kind of did. I mean, I Michael Staff became what, – what's that, CJ? I did. I thought there was improvement, especially from a year or two ago. When I, I think aside from, you know, the first play against Washington, there really wasn't the busted 60, 70, 80-yard touchdown passes that we've almost become accustomed to even prior to this staff coming in. 
I thought the defense was significantly more sound. There's a lot more communication in the secondary. And he's, uh, I would say the secondary coaches are doing this, especially in the back end at, sec- at safety, where the athleticism necessarily isn't what you would expect from a top four team in the country. And I'm not saying this is, a, you know, they're working with bad players. It's just I think they're limited in what they can deploy as a result. I mean, coming into the season, you're expecting Jalen Catalan to maintain an all-conference level of play, and he seemingly was just never healthy enough to stay on the field. Uh, it obviously probably would have, would have been nice to have him on the field uh, against Washington a little bit as well, but I, I think he was limited in what he was able to do in terms of schematically and then obviously athletically with the, the weapons he had to deploy at the safety spot. I, I Catalan ended up being not as fast as they had hoped. Yeah. Much better going forward than he was going backward. Um, which in, in that Barry Odom style defense that he played uh, at Arkansas, that was a real a real piece for him. All right, all right uh, Bob Shipley uh, is here with us. We're going to talk a little uh, little uh, football, a little Washington game. See what Coach thought. He's got football theory later tonight with Rod Babers. Coach, how you doing this morning, Bud? Doing good. How you guys doing? Uh, doing better than I was Monday night. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I had some time to lick my wounds, you know. Uh, what'd you yeah. think of the game, Coach? Just get your your take on it a little bit, uh, real quick here. I'm sorry that my but just get your take on the game. And oh we'll- yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we talked about it a little bit the other morning, and uh, you know, it's still incredible that you know I, I got you know t- towards the end. My my thoughts were if if we win this game, it's going to be you know. 06 Vince Youngish type deal, but I didn't feel like I did in 2006. In other words, you know, who, who says, I mean, who knows who deserves to win the game, but I would just felt like that if we win the game, we, we're lucky. I mean, you know, we, we pulled one out, you know, that we might not shouldn't, you know, should have, should have been able to win. Um, I just didn't know that we played well enough all around to, you know, to say, yeah, oh man, we should have won that game, or this this play cost us the, you know, the game or whatever. The officiating was a little bit head a head scratcher on some calls, but you know, when they showed the replays on TV, I mean, you know, it was, you know, you might not agree with the with the rule of a you know submarining a lead blocker, but that's the rules, you know, and um, pass interference. Who knows what what they call? Who knows why they call pass interference anymore? I mean, I see it all the time go uncalled. You know, it's just, it's crazy. And, you know, you, the holding is <clears throat> one of those things. Uh, it, it got to where the, you know, the thing that the officials are saying now, what they used to tell me is we, you know, it's it, it's kind of okay to hold a guy inside, but but when we see him trying to get away and you've got a hold of his jersey or something, pulling it back, that's when we'll call it, you know. And, <clears throat> and so I, I taught my guys, you know, I, I hate to do that, but throw your hands up in the air like, oh, I can't get away, you know. <laughs> and, and we we got a holding call because that's exactly what one of the defensive ends did on Christian. You know, he kind of looked at the ref and threw his hands in the air, and and he had a, you know, Christian had a handful of jersey. But you know, overall, obviously, I'm proud. I, I thought, you know, obviously Quinn had an opportunity to to go down, you know, as a legend, you know, in the game, and that didn't quite happen. Um, which you know, that's that's he's human, you know. There's, I mean, we, we get to the point where you kind of expect, you, you see <clears throat> Penix do it all game, 
And then, you know, we've, of course, we've got, you know, Vince Young. And I don't know about you, but um, I'm sure most of us were thinking, yeah, we're fixing to win this thing. And this is going to be, you know, up there with 2006 in terms of improbable wins because there weren't a lot of people back then that thought we were going to win that game. You know, no, I thought I thought I got I thought Texas was going to get the ball back on its own 20 yard line with about 15 seconds left. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you were doing yeah. the math in your head, too, coach. Or you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I, I, I didn't think there was a chance. I didn't think there was a snowball's chance. But anyway, would have been one of the greatest games ever in the history of of the program. I think one of the best, not the maybe not the best when you win the national championship, uh, you know, in 06, that was that was an incredibly defining moment for moment for our program. But uh, anyway, I was really proud of the way, you know, that our kids continued to fight. And I know that's coach talk, but, but there's a lot of truth to that. And, uh, you know, I, I've been, I've been reading up on some stuff and I, I, I mean, you know, I, it, how do you define a, a pressure, a quarterback pressure? You know, I mean, they're saying, well, we had, you know, 20, whatever, something pressures, you know, on Penix. I, I don't, I don't see that. I, I think, uh, he didn't feel pressured. Uh, very, very rarely did he ever get pressured in my opinion. I don't remember what the, it was something I'm even embarrassed to say. I think somebody counted up like 22 pressures or something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, a lot of times a quarterback will, he'll, he, if he doesn't have a receiver breaking open right at the moment, he will, He'll go ahead and get out of the pocket and give the guy time. Doesn't mean he was necessarily pressured. Maybe buying a receiver more time on a double move route or or something like that. But anyway, um, you know, it's it's a it's a good learning curve for us, and I think it gives us all, um, you know, a chance to see where we are, you know, on the national level. I mean, you know, we've obviously had a great season in the Big Twelve with with one hiccup. But uh, anyway, I, I don't know how well we would have matched up with with Michigan, but sure like to have tried it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, I think we could all nod our head in agreement on that one, coach. <laughs> hey, the, the thoughts I, I come to now as we're looking forward, uh, what are some of the things you think Texas really needs to focus on next year? I mean, as we look, look to next year, there are some things yeah. more speed in the secondary, maybe, uh, you know, how are they going to replace these wide receivers? What are some of the keys to next year just off the top of your head without really going too deep into it that you've just been thinking, okay, let's try to address these things in the off season. Well, one of the things that, that we talked about on uh, Tuesday morning was, you know, just, just the, the, the mental attitude and the culture of uh, you know, and I don't, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but it's so easy for people uh, for players at the University of Texas, especially after everything that's been um, that, that's happened this year, and they have deservedly been lavished with attention, and um, you know we're back and all that stuff. And it's so easy to get in that in that entitled mode. And and if I'm Sark, that's that's number one on my list. Number one on my list to keep your foot on the gas, keep, keep that dog. We got to talk about dog, keep that dog mentality, underdog mentality. And, um, you know, continue to build that culture into one that, you know, like, like I say, I, I, you know, just 
clear off a place in the pasture, baby. Let's let's get after it, play some ball. I, we we don't give a flip about anybody or anything. We're just you know we just want to get on the get on the field and compete. You know, with my teammates and my brothers and all that. And they've done a good job of that. And and obviously, like y'all were talking about later uh, earlier, Bo, Bo Davis is is to me a catalyst on that staff. I I've, I've been around most of those guys for a few months uh, during that transition time and. Uh, I actually, I actually worked with Bo back when he was with, uh, with Mac. Uh, I was working with the, with the, uh, with the defense, the defensive line in particular. So, and, you know, we're, we're talking about replacements, you know, stuff like that for Bo, if he does decide to leave, you know, Bo has kind of been one of those yo-yo guys. I, you know, this is the second time he's been at Texas. He's been at Alabama at least twice. I know he's been at. I don't know how many times he's been to LSU. I know once, maybe twice. I, I'm I'm not sure, but you also have to realize uh, that Bo didn't recruit uh, Sweat, you know, and I don't think he recruited Byron Murphy either. You know, those those were Oscar Giles guys, and um, I worked with Oscar Giles as well and have a lot of faith in him. Um, as a coach and as a recruiter, I mean, I, I spent, um, you know, 10, 12 hours a day with him and he's, you know, he, he loves, he loves the university. He's got name recognition there. The coaches respect him throughout the state. If Bo does decide to, to make a move, um, you know, Oscar, Oscar's a guy that I, that I can say, and, and I've spent numerous, can't even, uh, recruiting weekends with him and, you know, just the way he handles the parents and the kids and, and his players. Uh, I think, uh, you know, and, and obviously he worked with Bo. That was back whenever Mac felt like, you know, we needed the defensive line and de defensive tackles, defensive ends, uh, put them all together. So there was two coaches coaching all those guys. And so um, I think, uh, I think Oscar's a guy that, I, I would have a lot of confidence in, and obviously he's a good, you know, recruiter. Well, he's, he's actually at he's actually at uh, Wyoming now, right? And Craig Bowl is now gone. I mean, he's 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 now retiring. So it'll yeah, be interesting to see how that goes. It, but it just shows that there are people out there that if th things happen, things can change that that don't necessarily disrupt the culture that you're right. talking about that was created. Yeah, uh, as well. You know, I I, I agree with that, Coach. Uh, on offense, anything you're looking for out of Quinn, out of the offense next year with losing all those receivers, perhaps all three receivers and your tight end? I mean, what what does that mean for a guy like Quinn? Like, even if you have good players coming in, they can't have the cohesiveness of guys like Sanders, Worthy, and Whittington, who all started together for, for two consecutive years. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's something that, that you're – you know, you, you won't you won't see we, we won't see what's going on, but but there's going to be countless early mornings and late nights out on the field with no coaches, with nobody there. Just Quinn and his receivers. Just don't think for a second. Quinn Quinn is a you know, he, he is he was he is who he is for a reason. He's not just going to sit back and say, well, I hope things go well with the new receivers next year. Once everybody gets on campus, he's going to spend an incredible amount of time with those guys in the film room on the field and know that the coaches will be pushing all that stuff too. 
and, uh, you know, telling Quinn, you know, there may be times that coaches can't actually be on the field working with the players and we'll know exactly what, what those guys need to work. So, um, you know, I think if we can continue to get the level of athletes that we've had at receiver, which we haven't had in a long time. I mean, you know, look at here's somebody posted something the other day about, about the Xavier and the way he's moved up the records, you know, that's, that it's awesome. Had he been here four years, he would have broken a lot of records, but we haven't been blessed with a plethora of great receivers. Um, you know, Jackson Shipley is a number three all time on receptions. Well, that's, I mean, he's my son. I'm, I'm very proud of him. That's an incredible thing. And Jordan's number one, but in Roy Roy's number two, but that just, you know, they're just not, you know, I don't know what Jackson played with six different quarterbacks or eight different quarterbacks, you know, and, and Jordan played, you know, with one and made, made a huge difference. But my point is, uh, as much as I love my son and I'm incredibly proud of him, there hasn't been, uh, you know, great production in the receiver room because, you know, that's been, you know, coming up on 10 years, you know, and still, still not at the level we needed to be until this last couple of years. And so, um, you know, I think, I think some of these guys were bringing in, I'm excited about, uh, Wingo. And I think he's, uh, you know, one of the guys, uh, posted, uh, one of our, our viewers posted a comparison to Julio Jones and, uh, I haven't seen a lot on Wingo, but that that would be pretty exciting if you can put him in that category. I'll take it. Let's just add Julio Jones to the roster right now. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know that you can be much twitchier than Devin Duvernay was. He was pretty twitchy. So that's kind of exciting too, you know. So, uh, but I think it's just like anything else, man. you got to put in the time and the effort on the, on, on the, uh, on the field and, and watching – watch film and you know i promise you quinn's not going to come back if he doesn't feel good about who he's going to have on the field next year and he will and a lot of that is up to him and the way that he could bring all those guys together yeah coach we're kind of in that transition period i think the team is off for a couple days before winter conditioning gets back up and going again obviously important there'll be 17 early enrollees coming in a lot of new faces joining the program as well, as well as, you know, the notable guys departing. As someone who's been through the transition from a, a good long season that, you know, might have come up with a heartbreaking or, or, or tough loss to end the, the campaign, how important is it and what kind of challenges do you think Sarkeesian and that staff will face to get, you know, motivation right away to get back to the grind and really set sights towards 2024? Well, I, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, I, I think you, you just, you go away. Hey, we're, you know, we, we hadn't got it done yet, you know, and, but, but you keep riding the wave of momentum that you have, um, you know, into this, because e even though it was a very disappointing loss, obviously, uh, there's still an awful lot of good to take from this season and the level that we're at. Can we maintain that? And that's the question on everybody's mind. Can we maintain that? We've got a fairly favorable schedule next year in the SEC, I think, in terms of, you know, it could have been a lot worse, right. you know. And so next year is a great opportunity for us as we move into the SEC. And so can we continue to maintain this momentum and, you know, challenging the young guys, challenging the new guys, you know, Xavier's gone. Who, who's, who, who's the next X on this team? You know, 
who, who is that guy? And it's wide open. You know, you have a chance to, you know, really make a name for yourself. And, and so I, I think you just, you just ride that wave and you just keep pushing, keep your foot down on the gas. And the expectation level has to be at the ceiling. You know, it's got to be up there and you accept nothing less than, than the best that everybody has. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's something that they'll do. I mean, the, you know, Sark is obviously, um, he obviously knows what he's doing and the job is not too big for him. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I was worried when he was first hired. I'm going to tell you, I was, I was worried, you know, with the, with his history and with what I've seen that job do to people, uh, it would drive you to drinking. I mean, it's a incredible amount of pressure and, you know, like Mac Brown used to say, it's, you know, some places it's no big deal. You have a guy get in trouble or this, that, but you've got 10 million people or whatever that, that really care about what goes on in this program every single day. And that's a lot to carry on your shoulder if you don't have everything in perspective. And so I feel very comfortable now that he does have, have a great uh, handle on what's going on up there and how to get it done. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's proven to me that he can do that. So, if these new guys coming in are what we think they are, then, uh, you know, I hope the transition will be a smooth one. I'm looking at it. One of the things they can use also, Coach, as a kind of a rallying cry is the whole move to the SEC. Yeah. You know, that this is going to be Texas's first year, and you got to go prove it. You know, Set the tone. Yeah, everybody's been talking about it this whole time. You can't, you know, the SEC's the best conference. Well, okay, let's go, let's go in there and figure out who – who's what and what's what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, there's, you know, the, the SEC is a little bit daunting, but when you look at all the teams, you know, that you have in there, you know, and, and of course a lot, a lot of the people, you know, to our Southeast always talk about, um, you know, how comparing the big 12 to the SEC is no comparison. Y'all are fixing to get in big boy football as they're playing you know, Vanderbilt and, you know, some of these lesser, lesser teams. Uh, so, it, you know, they're, they're not all, <clears throat> you know, going to be Georgia, Alabama, you know, type games. But, uh, I mean, when, when you look at the fact that Missouri is, you know, is where they are, uh, Kentucky is where they are. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be easy, but I, I think that's a great point that you make, Bobby. Well, let, let's go set the tone and show them who we are. You know, we know who we are. People in our state know who we are. Let's show the, let's show the, the conference and the country who we are and that we belong here. Not only belong here, they don't want to just belong. They want to be, you know, the top echelon. And I think that's a great point. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. I mean, I think that's, it's going to be a good football week in, week out. Uh, uh, a lot of good athletes on the field each and every week. Uh, you know, that's one thing that I do think that people look, I mean, people missed at, at some point in time, Texas wasn't necessarily playing these great athletes every week. And then yet they were still losing at times. Yeah. And so they can understand losing to great athletes. Everybody can, right. You can, I mean, frankly, you can understand anybody losing to what Michael Penix did on, on Monday night. Right. Right. I'm not saying he's a great athlete, but, you put those you put those guys on each and every week. All of a sudden, you're nine and three. Well, nine and three looks a lot better if you're losing to guys that are 
repeated first round draft picks as opposed to in the Big 12 where it they weren't there weren't that many great athletes. There were just good football teams, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it changes that mindset a little bit of the fan. Yeah. And I, I think I think that's a lesson that Sark learned. I, I hope he did. Um be just being more attentive to where your team is at every single week. You know, you we you know you can't you can't go in and and be as inconsistent as we've been at times the last three years. You've got to you know you you you've got to have your guys ready to play at an elite level every single week. And it seemed like for some reason we just you know we we were. You know, as you know, barely winning games. You know, TCU, and you know, there's many, many of them we can talk about that we were, we were way closer than they should have been. And you can't do that in the SEC. Obviously, you can't do that. And so I, I, I I'm, I'm sure he's well, well aware of that. And you know, he's not, he, you know, he's the head coach of Texas for a reason. And uh, you know, so I, I think that's going to be critical for him to make sure that our team is ready to play at our level, you know, and that's, and that's one thing as a coach, you always want to, you know, let's don't play at our opponent's level. And sometimes it felt like we were guilty of that, you know, playing and let's, let's set the tone. Let's set the pace for the game at our level, always at our level and never at the opponent's level and, and see, see what happens. And so I'm, I'm sure he'll get that done, but that has been a concern obviously the last, last three years. That seems like what you're describing is exactly what Alabama and Georgia have done. Uh, is that no doubt the consistency of playing at their own level? Not saying they're perfect because neither team is, but um, that, that seems what you're discussing. Coach, we appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for yeah, uh, you bet. I'll make sure to watch football theory later tonight with you and Rod. I know Rod and you have been having some good times together. So oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have we'll, we'll have a good time. Thanks for having me this morning, guys. All right, you have fun. Take care, Coach. Happy New Year. All right, Bob Shipley there, Coach Shipley. And as uh, Bobby said, you can catch him later this evening with Rod Babers right there on Football Theory. And you're watching Coffee and Football presented by Rick Bobro and Austin Underground. And, guys, I want to go back to the conversation we were having before Coach Shipley came on just for a second because we've had a couple of questions regarding that. And this one from Glenn Keller. We're talking about the defensive back play, mainly the safety play. He says, do you say they improved their technical skills or was it just that they got more time to play with each other throughout the year plus their improved health? I don't know. Did they get more time to play with each other throughout the year? There's a lot of moving pieces. Catalan was in the mix. He's no longer there. There was, I mean, the, the pieces were obviously moving. I thought for me, when I looked at the entire position as a whole, there was an improvement in communication and I would say understanding of where they were supposed to be. Rarely did you see guys running wide open down the field, 40 yards wide open, as we'd seen previously to this season, the year before. So I thought to me, that was an improvement. If your defense is playing sound to the scheme and where they're supposed to be in coverage, I will take that nine times out of 10, because I know that they're at least where they're supposed to be. As long as there's not a guy that's running, you know, wide naked open down the middle of the field, I think that is something that you can continue to coach and be encouraged about in your secondary. And this is where, you know, kind of the athleticism comes into fold is when you're in a position that a guy still has a foot or two or, or yard or two on you, that's the athleticism. That's the speed that is lacking. 
against Washington. We saw good coverage, at least in my opinion. I thought Ryan Watts was in solid coverage for most of the night. It just took perfect throws and catches to get the balls over uh, his out, outstretched arm. In that regard, in that, that throw over the middle that ended up a touchdown that split the middle of two Texas safeties, that's the speed and athleticism that I've, I've been mentioning Texas not necessarily possessing at the moment. So while the, I, I, I'm encouraged by where people are on the field at the time, there's obviously a little bit of a – a, a, a gap that Texas has to overcome in terms of getting to where they want to be in the safety uh, department. And that's more so on the athleticism. You know, I, I I'll say this too. A lot of people are, are talking about technique, et cetera. And a lot of people I, I've had, I literally, this is no, no lie, CJ and Blake. I've had three or I, at least three people text me asking me why Texas DBs don't look back at the ball more. I mean, and, Here's the, the reality of that. Sometimes you actually, that's, Rod Babers talks about this all the time. There are different types of DBs. There are the ball hack, hawk types that do look back. There are the guys that play through the hands. And the, there are the guys that kind of body people up. Okay. It's hard to be all three. To be all three, or, or to be two of the three at least, you need to have elite speed. Ryan Watts is trying to make up ground a lot of times. So he's, he can't really look back for the ball all that easily. It's not a technique that he can use. He has to focus on the receiver's hands and his eyes. The eyes get big. That means the ball's coming, right? Um, that Different DBs have different aspects that they can do. Doing them all, you're expecting Deion Sanders when facts are Deion Sanders in the Hall of Fame for a reason. Charles Woodson, Hall of Fame for a reason. Yeah. Um, those guys are few and far between, but the one thing they all had is elite speed. And because then you can make up ground, you know it, and you can stay in phase. So unless you have 4-4 speed uh, against Roma Dunze, you're not looking back for the ball unless you're just in great position. And, and the quarterback, frankly, makes a bad read. It just doesn't happen that often. And to your point, when you're playing a receiver like Roma Dunze, who has kind of mastered the craft of being savvy in that, that instance, playing through the hands and the eyes isn't going to help you when you're getting a late reaction down here. Whereas, you know, you're, you're, you're looking up at, back at the ball, your eyes get big and you're going up to make the play. It's much easier for DBs to swipe through the hands. You're catching the ball down here without making any sudden movement. How would a DB know the ball is there? And I think that's what got Ryan Watts a couple times there. So it, it's just that's a really good player for a reason. <laughs> I, I agree. That that's what I'm saying. So technique and that sort of stuff. I'm not. Uh, I'm not there. One of the things that has been mentioned is using the 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 sideline as more of a defender for those guys. They play a lot of outside leverage on the corners. Uh, they changed that up a lot the last three games, actually. Um, and I say that against Tech, uh, Oklahoma State, and even against Washington, they did use the boundary a little bit more uh, and, you know, what have you. Uh, what did y'all think about him and his comment about the number of pressures that teams are given and, and awarded? I mean, it, I, I tend to agree with him. 20 pressures against Washington, I didn't see that. I mean, I, I saw maybe five that I would count as a true pressure. At what point are we just – overrating what PFF is saying, pro football focus is saying counts as a pressure. No, I mean, it's an inexact science. Absolutely. 
Uh, I did think there were times, and Sar- Sarkeesian even mentioned it after the game, I believe. He, he felt that Texas was getting home. It was just a step or two above climbing the pocket, eluding a defender that Penix was able to make. And uh, I would say very rarely was he ever hit. I don't think there was any more any, any more than just a hand across the knee or across the shoulder that we ever saw from a Texas defender, even after he released the ball. You know, it, it was that type of a pass protection from Washington. He seemingly was never in duress. Uh, but I do think, especially Byron Murphy, had some good success through the middle. Uh, it was late. But there were hands in the face, and I think that's really where those came from, those those pressures came from. So, I don't know. 20 felt high, but I did think that there was times where, you know, it was the last possible moment for Penix to get the ball out, and he did. And clearly, I mean, we saw how that worked. Hey, uh, Brian Irwin, the coach that does lunch with the coach with us, a good friend of ours uh, on this program, wrote me um, and basically wrote this this morning to me. Uh in man coverage, like the other night with the DB, is desiring to be in phase with the wide receiver, meaning hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder, uh, hip to hip or shoulder to shoulder. The idea is to be in phase and then play the wide receiver's eyes and hands. When the wide receiver looks, then you look through him for the ball. When the wide, wide receiver raises hands, then you play through his hands for the ball. If you're not in phase, then you can't look back because you are not in position. And some wide receivers are incredible at having what CJ called late hands so that the DB can't anticipate the splashdown of the ball. The earlier the hands, the easier for the DB. The later the hands, the tougher it is on the DB. Their wide receiver had late hands, incredible skill, and the QB that was dropping dimes. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what CJ was, was saying there. Yeah, in that, in that instance, you're taught as a cornerback to, to use that receiver as a mirror to look back to the ball and the quarterback without actually having to look back because he's going to tell you everything you need to know. The hands go up, your hand go up. His eyes get ready to go. So it, it, it's a mirror kind of approach there. But absolutely, I love that the, the way that he, he phrased all of that there, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Brian, for sending that over. Uh, but I appreciate you uh, as well. I guess we got a super chat here from Texas Beats. He says that bringing Akina back, well, Texas maybe getting an Arizona coach, but <laughs> not quite that one. <laughs> Dwayne is actually a um, off-field assistant right now at Arizona. Uh, so he he left uh, Stanford when uh, David Shaw was let go. Uh, he came in and uh, is now on the, uh, an analyst position at Arizona. I mean, Dwayne's only been at like three places over his last 30 years of coaching, Texas, Stanford, and Arizona. He talk about guys that aren't nomad aren't coaching nomads. Dwayne Aquina is not a coaching nomad. Three places in 30 years. That's unbelievable. Yep. For sure. All right. Well, before we move on, I need to tell everybody out there about Manscaped. And cheers to the new year from our friends at Manscaped because your resolution shouldn't be the only things that are well kept. 2024 is the time for new heights, new opportunities, and a new look for your Times Square balls. Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra is every man's cheat code to look good, feel good, and turn the page on confidence this year. Whether you're looking to maintain a trim or go for that clean shaven look, this trimmer has you covered. It's trusted by over 10 million men worldwide, and now is your time to get a grip on your grooming with their exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code ONTEXAS and you'll get 20% off plus free shipping. 
Happy New Year or Happy New Balls. And earlier in the week, I told you about Manscaped's fifth generation lawnmower, but now I'm going to tell you about getting the full grooming experience with their Performance Package 5.0. In this grooming kit, you get the trusted lawnmower, you get Manscaped's ear and nose hair trimmer, and essential aftercare products with the Crop Soother Ball Aftershave Lotion and the Crop Preserver All Shaping Ball Deodorant. Yep, deodorant for your balls. Bet you didn't think you needed that. And let's face it, resolutions might come and go, but a well-groomed you is here to stay thanks to Manscaped. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code ONTEXAS at manscaped.com because nothing says Happy New Year like a deal that leaves your balls and your budget feeling refreshed. Embrace the new you and definitely embrace the new trimmer, courtesy of Manscaped. Let me ask you a question, CJ. What do you think about your dad hearing that 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 read? Uh <laughs> <laughs> My dad's 81. He doesn't even, I mean, it, you know, I don't even know what to say. Dude. I, I, no, it's uh, it gets more and more interesting every time I read it or I hear it. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks, oh, thanks for doing that for us. I, we appreciate you greatly. You don't know how much. <laughs> All right, Bobby. Well, we'll, we'll talk about something you're a little more comfortable yeah, with. There we here. Go. There Ambassador to Texas says, what's your recommendation for improving our red zone offense? Good stuff. Uh, this is like, if I were to, one of the, these shows, I want to put down the five or six things that I think Texas needs to work on in the off season to improve the execution level uh, of the team in general. Uh, one of those is red zone offense. And as a part of that, it's getting Quinn Ewers more comfortable throwing a fastball yep. in the red zone. Uh, they hadn't, I don't think they threw a back shoulder, back pylon throw to any receiver all year long where it's a zip throw. Uh, I think everybody's seen the replay. If that's a back pylon th shoulder throw, like uh, Brian Irwin folks had mentioned, that's a TD. But they did, they clearly hadn't really worked on that. Uh, whether that's because Sark and his progression of what he does with quarterbacks, it takes time. He doesn't want to get them in there, you know, uh, doing too much too soon. Uh, that may be part of the evolution of his quarterback coaching. You know, that's what I, that's kind of what I feel it was. He wanted this year Quinn not to turn the ball over, to connect on some deep balls and really run the offense and distribute the ball. I think that's the next piece for, uh, for uh, Steve Sarkeesian. So, that's it in the red zone because the moment your quarterback can start hitting the quick stuff and zip it in there, the all of a sudden the linebackers have to get back quicker on play fakes. There's all kinds of things that that opens up. They can't just be – the linebackers can't be just sitting on run in the red zone. And that all of a sudden your third and one in the red zone looks a lot different. Yeah, I was going to add to that, Bobby. But it feels like the only time we really see zip on the football is on RPOs. Uh, and Washington did a great job uh, against Texas this week of really getting hands in the in the, in the zones of where uh, RPOs were headed. In the red zone specifically, tight windows are, are all you're going to see for the most part, unless you have an Xavier Worthy who is so good at creating separation. Uh, and, and, Blake, I sent that clip over to you. Hopefully we can get that up. But uh, if you're not able to create that type of separation, you're going to have to take make tight throws. You're going to have to put some zip on the football. Uh, I actually um, I, I, I like what you said about putting you know that back shoulder fade in. We didn't really see a whole lot of that all year. 
uh, it, it was more a reliance on the wide receivers to create separation and allowing Quinn Ewers a, a place to throw the football rather than, you know, forcing it in there and having your receiver go win the play. Uh, this was a play I, I, I like, you know, talking about against uh, Houston earlier this year. This is the next step for Quinn Ewers. That's open. That is separation. That ball doesn't come out because he doesn't, I, in my eyes, trust his his arm to put zip on the ball and create, you know, enough uh, speed to get the ball there before the DB reacts. But this is a touchdown, and this is the next step for Quinn Ewers in year three as a starting quarterback at Texas, is finding ways to get the ball into anticipated areas with pace. That has to be a touchdown in the SEC because Texas stopped, did not score a touchdown on that drive. They kicked the field goal, and we know how quickly that game kind of became, oh, boy, you know, Quinn's hurt now. Would have been real nice to have those extra four points and have it be a two-possession game. So that has to be the next step for Quinn Ewers. I I agree with you. I mean, he's just got to learn to – they've got to focus on that this year. And that – like, this is one of several things. I think they all – Oh, and I want to go back to this. You know, we talked about how they didn't improve. The people were worried about not improving over the season situation. How long did crossing routes really hurt Texas after after the Houston game? Not many. No. I mean, they, they did coach coach them up a little bit. So I think people need to take that and say, okay, they they had chance to get in there and, and really deal with it. Um, I, I felt like the coaches reacted well overall during the season. You don't end up in the college football playoff otherwise. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I worry about people uh, uh, overreacting to a single loss, even though, I mean, Mike Michael Penix, there's no doubt, he sliced and diced. I mean, he, he diced up the Texas defense. The two the two quarterbacks that did are six-year quarterbacks, you know, so let, let's keep that in mind, playing 24-year-olds or 25-year-olds playing 18- and 19-year-olds. Yep. While we're on the subject of Quinn Ewers, I want to bring this up actually and get y'all's thoughts on it. This uh, came out from an SEC site, and this is their way too early SEC quarterback rankings has Quinn at the very top there. What's y'all's thoughts on this list? A lot to take away from it. I <laughs> like Quinn Ewers in year three. Five are accurate. I would put Brady Cook ahead of. Just about all of those guys, though, except for maybe Carson. I mean, I think Brady Cook had a hell of a year. The the rest of those guys, I I don't know. I mean, is Jackson Arnold really the tenth best quarterback in that league? Yeah, that kind of surprised me too. I think Wegman's too low. Yeah, I mean, if he's healthy. Yeah. That yeah. Big assuming they all are. If he's healthy, I agree. They got Wegman. At, for people that are listening to this, they have Wegman at nine. Uh, Quinn Ewers at one, Carson Beck of Georgia. He had a whale of a year. He's two, Jackson Dart three, Milrow four, and Brady Cook five at Missouri. You know, look, people were calling for Jalen Milrow to win the Heisman this year at some point. Uh, so for him, I, I, we know he's kind of a, I don't want to call him a one trick pony because he's, he's becoming more than that over his career. Um, and certainly uh, was a key focal point of, of Alabama getting to the playoffs themselves. Um, but I, I liked what the Missouri quarterback has been doing. I, I feel like he's got them going in the right direction. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we're going to move on here to a different subject. Well, we'll stay on quarterbacks for a second, but a different player. Steve says, should we have a red zone package for Arch next season? 
Who, uh, somebody, I think it was either um, Brian Irwin or uh, Coach Shipley, and I can't remember which, kept harping on the fact that, that the QB run game, there has to be a QB run game in the red zone because that gives you just different options. I think that's true, but I don't think it's going to happen with, with Steve Sarkeesian. He's not going to run his quarterback at, I mean, he will at times. Don't, I mean, Quinn scored a couple running touchdowns this year on uh, uh, zone read keepers. Uh, okay. But that's not going to be what Sark likes to do. It's just not. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what we're going to see from that. I mean, Arch can certainly do it better than Quinn, probably. I mean, he's more yeah, athletic, he's faster, you know, that sort of stuff. And Quinn's more the thrower. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think I anytime know. you have a, a a red zone design package for a specific player, particularly a quarterback, uh, the, the idea of a surprise goes out the window because you know what the strengths of that package are. You know the reason why he's coming in. When we saw the 18 – I don't want to liken Arch Manning to the 18-wheeler package we saw with Tyrone Swoops, but you knew what was coming when he was in the game. There was only so many variations – uh, as a result of a specific player coming in for a specific package on a specific part of the field. And so I like keeping the, the offense in what would rather be, you know, the, the, the normal rhythm and, 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 and personnel that you would see throughout the entire part of the field. Um, I don't know. Sarkeesian did a good job, I think, coming in with the, the big body package with, you know, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy and Malik Agbo, those guys coming in, kind of throwing in some wrinkles. But, I mean, when that was against Oklahoma – uh, and Dallas this year, and you had three opportunities to punch it in, it, it just felt too monotonous, too predictable. And so I get hesitant anytime I hear, you know, at any part in the field, you you want to call on that specific guy to come in and do a specific thing. I like having, you know, the option to do a, a whole lot of variance with your play style and, and play calls as a result of the personnel that you keep on the field. Well, I was thinking about this, uh, CJ, the the Tim Tebow package that Florida used to run with Chris Leak still at quarterback. That was that was one thing. But if you remember Tyrone Swoops in that package, it got stale. Yeah. And ended up not being as successful later in the year. Uh, the, uh, you know, I, I could go back to another package. The belldozer at, at Oklahoma yep. became less less successful as the year went on as people started figuring out how to defend it and worked it into their game plan. Those things are good for short periods of time, typically, not yeah, for all time. Even the red cap this year had great start to the year, and it kind of, you know, as people got an idea of what Sarkeesian liked to do on film, it yes. just fell out of favor. Yep. I got, we got a couple of questions about punters, and uh, we're going to do this first one from Jay. And Jay says, Ohio State punter, three-year starter in the Porter. Hopefully, Texas looks to him. Any thoughts? But, Bobby, I'm also going to add this one from Kevin Randolph. Do we still expect a portal or grad transfer punter? So, that's possible, Kevin. The, the thought there might be that they go after one that is not necessarily a scholarship guy. So, get a guy that's averaged 42 a punt that wants to go to, go to the Texas business school. Mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, they're, they're, the thing, great thing about Texas is they offer more than just that, and they might still get some NIL money as well. They don't necessarily – like, Burt Auburn's not on scholarship right now. I hope everybody realizes that, or at least he wasn't as of two weeks ago. Um, and so 
those kind of things have to be considered and, and figured out overall. Uh, but I, I don't know that they're going to necessarily scholarship a punter as much as they might get a, da- a, a Daniel Trejo, for example, as a uh, stopgap if Michael Kern can't handle the role. Kern, by the way, uh, playing in that uh, All-American game down there that CJ was at yesterday uh, for practices in San Antonio. And then let's talk about another transfer that Texas does have in the fold. Zane Petty asked, can Trey Moore get double-digit sacks against SEC competition? If he can, it will change our season. Absolutely would. That's a tall (laughs) ask. (laughs) That's a tall ask for a guy making a jump from UTSA to seeing, you know, SEC quality left tackles and right tackles the entire season. Uh, But I do think his addition, as well as, you know, a Colin Simmons or an emergence of Billy Walton or Colton Vasek or, or anybody else who can bring some juice to this group is only going to help because I see Baron Sorrell and Ethan Burke, and I like what they bring to the field, but when they come off, you know, who is going to step in and be that kind of guy to maintain that level of play right now? I need a big jump right now from justice Finkley. That just has to be where his game takes him as Texas goes into the sec, because when the two of them come off the field, and albeit it's not not too often, the play in the production just drops. Uh, Jamon Tapp has shown spurts, but he's not been able to do it really early in the game when things are still trying to figure it out. He's been uh, disruptive when games kind of out of the out of reach. Uh, but someone else has to be in that rotation to continually maintain that level of play and persistence after the quarterback when Burke and Burrell or uh, uh, Sorrell are not in the field. So I'm looking at Trey Moore and, and obviously Colin Simmons as. A guy, two guys that make that four-man rotation uh, a, a sustained level of production, more so an ultimate number one guy that will come in and and disrupt the entire ball game like we saw Braylon Trice do. All right, Bobby. Before hey, we wait, wait, I want to say thank hello to Zane. I met him in New Orleans. Hey, Zane, good, good to see you, buddy. <laughs> well, Bobby, before we move on to a few more questions, I'm going to let you tell everybody out there about Rick Vavro and Austin Underground. Yeah, absolutely. Rick's a a friend of our program and a big friend of Texas athletics. Uh, Since 2004, Austin Underground has specialized in difficult underground commercial installations. The team's engineering background gives Austin Underground the ability to perform work other firms often consider too risky. Rick and his team offer an end-to-end client experience, including seamless communication, budgeting, staffing, and top-notch trade partners. And most importantly, they produce solid quality work each and every time. That's Austin Underground, Rick Vavro, and his team. We appreciate them very much. And going back to that uh, question about the Ohio State punter, Christopher here weighed in in the chat and said he had committed to, or he has committed to Vanderbilt. So there you go on that one. There, that And that is my comment, right? He's going to go somewhere to try to go get an MBA would be my guess. Okay, Miguel says, Bobby and company, do you think that Michigan can play keep away from Washington's offense and just run the ball? And why didn't Texas do that? Texas has a different offense than than Michigan. Michigan has three tight ends. They have, you know, they'll go heavy, heavy all day long. That's what they like to do. Um, Texas likes to be versatile, be able to run and pass. Uh, this is a better matchup for Michigan than it with Washington than it was for Texas. Um, I also think Michigan gets after the quarterback better than Texas as a, not necessarily the run defense isn't the run defense is great, but it's not better than Texas. 
what is better than Texas is their pass rush. Um, I think this sets up really, really well for, for Michigan, to be honest. All right, Osmosis Jones. Uh, he says, where is Colton Vosick at his development and on the depth chart? Well, first he has to get healthy. That's kind of been the, the lingering issue with Colton this year is he's got to be fully healthy to see where he is as a player and a prospect for Texas right now. He's been dealing with a little bit of a back issue since uh, his days at Westlake. So I'm looking for this spring. He's a guy that I have on my list as a guy who can make a big impact this spring uh, and really start throwing his name around in the fold. As I mentioned, there's a lot of edge rushers now that we expect to be in a rotation. Vosick was a guy who was heavily recruited, uh, heavily coveted coming out of Westlake and Texas wanted him dearly. Uh, it, seeing where he can take his game this spring is going to be huge for me. Uh, but again, health is the biggest factor for him. All right, guys. Bobby Vetronic here says there's a difference from occasionally being in a dogfight with a lesser team and living in the dog pens like we did for the majority of the season. That is the next step. Completely agree. That's exactly what we're just talking about. That's when you're playing to your standard instead of the standard of your opponent. Yep. That's that's what Coach Shipley was talking about. That's what we've all been talking about. Um, the next step is treating each and every week like like you did Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. You know, being having that mentality of stepping on someone's throat. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be rude about it, but that's that's really what you want, right? I mean, you want your team to come out and show who they are each and every week. Uh, that's what uh, Alabama and Georgia have gotten to. Alabama, not not as much this year, by the way. Alabama, Georgia did that, um, and and that's a we know that that's rare. I mean, not a lot of people do that in college football. Okay, guys. Katie with the question here says, is Wingo the biggest slash fastest recruit at receiver that we've had since Roy Williams? Hmm. Yes. I mean, what did he finish second in the 100 meters in Missouri? I can't remember. He's, he, he was in the state finals in the 100 meters at 6'2". Yeah. Yeah, the answer is yes. He's the biggest. He's the biggest combination of size and speed since Roy Williams. I'm not too shabby. No, Great no. Look, I mean, I don't know. If he's Roy. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but um, uh, the point being, like L.J. Humphrey, not that fast. Colin Johnson, certainly not that fast. I'm going back to big receivers, right? Um, who else has Texas had that's been been a big receiver? About Malcolm Williams. Yeah, now Malcolm was was that fast, but didn't necessarily have the ball skills, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, fair enough. CJ, I hear him typing on the computer trying to look somebody up. I was looking up Mike Davis. <laughs> I was looking up Mike Davis' height. He's 6'2". I thought he was a fast guy, but I before my time, before I really understood, you know, the football characteristics. So Yeah, he's, I didn't even think he was 6'2". Yeah, I don't know that he was true a true 6'2", either. I, the uh, – I can't think of anybody other than Humphrey and Johnson that were really big, right? The, the, the speed there is, is astronomical. Hey, this is a question from Bevo78 uh, that I think I want to get to before we got to get out of here this morning. Uh, I noticed uh, said Baxter almost got hurt again. Is this going to be a continuous problem with him? I don't know. Let's see what, let's see what an offseason does for him. I mean, it, it's just like Xavier Worthy. That ankle on Xavier was just always nicked up. Once it gets hurt 
and you're playing in season, it doesn't have the proper time to heal. And I think that's what happened to, to Cedric Baxter first with his shoulder and then, then with his foot. I mean, it, he's a young guy. It needs time to heal. And you can't just keep going out there and repeatedly injuring it. Uh, hopefully he is not a guy that has uh, repeated injury problems. That would be that would not be good because he is that he has that weight that I think can be really special in the run game. He has that leaning weight that I mean he breaks he's going to break tackles and you're going to need that in the SEC by the way guys. In the SEC more guys are going to go down on contact than go down on contact in the Big Twelve. That's why a, a big running back like that is a plus. All right, guys, this will be the final question of the day. And I like this question. Wave on Wave says, on Texas football, what do you see us talking about a year from now on January 4th, 2025? Hopefully we're talking about a game we just watched Texas play around this time of the year. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would be fun. That would be continuing the conversation and momentum we've seen from this year. So I would be all for it. Yeah, I think that. I think it's going to be the arch you know, change, uh, as well. Um, and of course I'd love to see them be playing late in the year. I don't know if they're going to get there next year. I just don't. Right. I want to see what they finish within the portal and how some of the young guys perform in spring ball. Um, I, I just want it to be a continuation of positive momentum and I, I think that positive momentum could be nine or 10 wins next year. I don't think it has to be 12 uh, because it's been so rare since Texas has been consistently good. Right. I mean, Texas had a good year in 2018 when they beat Georgia in the, um, in the Sugar Bowl, but there was no consistency to it. I hope that what we're talking about a year from now is that consistency and relevance stayed true. That, that we saw a year worth of, con- not not even improvements, not the right word, but sustainability. Like this is definitely where this program is headed. That's what I hope we're talking about. Yeah, this can't, this 2023 season can't be what we saw from TCU. Yeah, it can't be an anomaly, right? You don't want it to just be a one hit wonder. You know, you want it to be, to mean something. And I think it will. I, I think that they've got the personnel. It's different than TCU. I mean, Texas got has its quarterback coming back. Right. Yeah. Uh, they have most of the offensive line. Yeah. A number of big time players coming back on defense. I, I feel good about where Texas is at. It's just they got to get there. That's what this year is about for me. And that's why, you know, I think that's why Bob Shifley's comment during this interview was really important. That dog mentality, underdog mentality, keep proving it, improving it, improving it. I think that's one of the reasons why. I mean, we want to see that sustainability. That's that's almost what this year should be, should be about in my opinion. Hey, Bobby, real quick, uh, going back to when we were doing those comparisons a minute ago, Douglas Scott said, how about Sweet? I completely forgot about him. 6'4". Obviously, I think he ran like a 4'5 at the NFL Combine that year, 4'5 flat, but he did break Roy Williams' records for most consecutive touchdowns in a game or, you know, in a season. Yeah. Limus would be a guy. Limus Limus would definitely be that guy, actually. Because he he's faster than LJ and uh, uh, LJ and uh, Colin Johnson, I don't I think Limus was never in the state championships in the 100 meter though. Yeah. So I think the comparison here is elite speed potentially, uh, as opposed to just good speed. And, I and he did well. Speed. 
in the hurdles. I think I think the hurdles was more his thing back in high school, if I remember. Gotcha. So, all right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Coffee and Football, presented by Rick Vavro and Austin Underground. Want to thank all of you for tuning in. Thank you for the super chats. But Bobby, before we get out of here, let folks know what they can expect later today, right here on On Texas Football. Yeah, Rod and I are going to be talking about uh, the uh, state of the program. We're going to go through uh, exactly where Texas and all these players are at um, from their uh, NFL draft situation, as well as whether or not they're expected to come back or return. Uh, So all these conversations that Steve Sarkeesian is going to be having and where we think players are leaning right now. Uh, Then we're also going to come back uh, with football theory. We mentioned Bob Shipley and Rod uh, talking a little football later tonight as well. So be sure to tune in for both of those. And then also be sure to hit that like and subscribe button. We would definitely appreciate that. Ring the bell so you're notified anytime we post a video here on On Texas Football. And for Bobby Burton and CJ Vogel, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one, guys.